This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. And we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18. And uh, let's keep in mind that this is His Word. Let's stand together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision but what is called by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one, the, one, both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of my uh, professors said this uh, uh, when I was going through Bible school. It will seem uh, probably super simple. I don't know if my thing is disconnected. If it is, then I'm going to have to, uh-oh, ooh-ooh, I skipped a few here. Uh-oh, hey now, okay, play, here we go, let's see if, we, oh, I'm going through all the slides now, you guys are getting the, the whole deal right there, all right, now back to this one, all right, here we go, when you, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to see what it is therefore, okay, simple, right, uh, and here we see this idea of the scripture saying, therefore. What is that word, therefore? It's transitioning all that we have been doing over these last 13 weeks, and it's saying, here's what the so what to all that we have been studying in these last 13 weeks. I mean, we, meaning this. He's been writing all of this, and we've been studying and digging into it, and now he's saying this word, therefore, because what is happening is he's taking all of this that we have been studying thinking and studying and praying through, and he's bringing it to the ground. What does all of that mean? We've been spending 13 weeks, and Paul started the book, chapter 1, singing this rich song of praise, this Christology of all that Christ has accomplished. And I want you to remember this, because the thesis of all of that was that he was bringing heaven and earth together. That which had been separated from sin is being brought back together. Then he enters into this time of prayer, praying that they would know him, know him, understanding that in that knowing him, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the covenant they have with one another, that we're being brought into that covenant. In knowing Christ and the covenant we have with him, we will begin to understand what true covenant is. 
And he prays that they would know him and that they would know what they have through this resurrection power. And then he goes into chapter 2 and he spends time reminding you, remember, remember that you were dead. You weren't partially alive. You weren't mostly dead if you've watched Princess Bride. You were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. You were gone. And the gospel didn't make good people saved made dead people alive, resurrected us, and that's where that, but God, now that's, that's when I said, yeah, thank God for the but, you know, because without it, no hope, but God, who's rich in mercy, and if you were not here last week, I'm not just saying this, you got to go back and listen for a couple reasons, Pastor Wayne, who's in kids' church today, by the way, who's Ripping it up over there, I'm sure. Pastor Wayne can preach. And so there's a couple reasons I'm not going to recap. Because that was seriously one of the best sermons I've ever heard. God speaking through him. So I would hate to try to redo what he's already done. Talking about by grace, through faith. It's not of works lest any man should boast. That means that not only can we not earn our way into salvation, but we can't do anything that would separate us from him. And that it's only by his work and that this God who is doing the work is doing doing it like an artist. Because he's putting on display this workmanship, right? He's creating this work that is a, his workmanship. Now, if you know anything about an artist, right, who's putting a, a, a painting and adding colors or, or maybe writing a poem, that word workmanship is this idea of a poem and they're writing it. There's nothing worse to an artist who already has the vision in the head and kind of fleshing it out on the, to have somebody just over their shoulder shoulders going up you sure what are you doing what's that color why are you adding that what about that word what does that mean what is that and you're like just let me finish and sometimes when we don't understand our role which is faith which means to trust deeply in the artist we think we got to question every stroke, every word, everything. We got to understand it all. And even though he's trying to explain, have you ever been standing with an artist and they're like, here's what I'm going to do? And all all's I see is a white canvas. This room, you see this room and you're like, yeah, it's dirty. Here's what I'm going to do. And you're like, I'm not seeing it. The reality of what God is doing is he's creating this poem. He's creating this work. He's creating this artistry. And that we are not standing over his shoulder critiquing every move. We're the words on the page. We're the, 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 the ink on the canvas. We're a part of this great and glorious work with this creator is accomplishing And then he says, therefore, and he heads into 
If you believe all that you just sang about, if you're praying all that he just prayed, if you're believing that this is all God's glorious work through grace, it's going to hit the ground. Now, here's, here's the thing that, 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 that us who like to kind of, you know, maybe we're not artists, right, but we kind of like to kind of spread sheets and kind of doctrinal statements and all this stuff written down, you realize that much of the problems with our, with our disconnection on beliefs have nothing to do what's written on paper, it's actually when it starts hitting the ground and it starts hurting people. You start seeing the mess and you start seeing the brokenness and you start seeing the pain and you start seeing the realities. And here's what he's saying. Therefore, if you've sang this song, if you're praying this prayer, if you understand the work that Christ has accomplished by his work, not yours. And that's why it's important for us to understand that we need the right diagnosis of a problem to determine the type of work that needs to be done. The reason this is important is if you walk into a house and something's smelling, maybe there's things you know, crooked and you're like looking at a beam and you're trying, walking around and you hire somebody, come in, tell me what's wrong. Listen, you call somebody and you tell them, bottom line, I don't got a lot of money. I can't really fix it. Just paint over it, move stuff around, because I'm putting this thing on the market, right? Selling it. I'm done. Or you go, look, just fix it. Cheap as impossible. Or you just start moving furniture around and everything. You're like, man, it looks a lot better in here, but the smell's still there. That's called cosmetic work. Everybody loves doing cosmetic work. Everybody loves changing the things on the wall and moving things around. And nobody likes doing structural work. You want to know why? Structural work is expensive. It means everything has to be tore down. It means you got to rip pipes out, knock walls down. You got to do structural work. That's why if you get somebody walking in and going, oh, this is just cosmetic. I'll just do this, this, and this, and then you could just be fine. And you realize later it's been structural all along. The reality is, when you sit down with somebody who has marriage problems, none of you all in this room have ever had marriage problems. I get it. You guys are a great church. Never struggle. No marriage problems here. My pastoral work is easy with y'all. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a good amen? Nobody, nobody's saying amen because you all know you'd be lying. Shame the devil. No, no, no. We've sat down. We've had bouts. Hey, what's going on? And I point you to the gospel. I, I go a few chapters later, Ephesians 5. I say, husbands, you got to die like Christ. Look, look at the way the gospel is shaped. Look at how he dies to himself and he's, and he's humbling himself. He's loving and serving. And wives, look at what, what, what the gospel speaks to you. I've never gotten to the end of a, relation, of, a, of a marriage counseling and you could never look at Ephesians 5 and see the last verse that goes, this is a mystery and it's profound, but marriage is actually and not about marriage. It's about Christ and the church. He's making it very clear. The mystery is your marriage is a gospel display. And everybody says amen to that. Marriage is a gospel issue. I've never had somebody look at me and say, Pastor, marriage is not a gospel issue. It's a marriage issue. 
Never. But when it comes to the issue of ethnic divide, I constantly get debate and email and struggle facing this idea of well-meaning Christians who have misdiagnosed the problem and say, look, this is not a gospel issue. This is a political issue. This is a liberal agenda. That the unity of all nations, tribes, and tongues is not a gospel issue. This reality is all about justice, all this agenda, and everybody's got it. No, 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 no. Listen, church, when you diagnose this issue as cosmetic, you'll try to pin diversity on the wall and paint some color and hope you can trick people. And you'll walk in and you'll want everybody to look how beautiful the church is. Look, we got one little speck of black here and one little brown here. Look, we're adding color. Look at what we've done. And everybody walks in and something still smells. Because you've misdiagnosed the problem. And you've called it a political issue, and you've called it and you've, you've, you've moved it out. But nobody says marriage is just a marriage issue this is a gospel issue. This is why dualism is so dangerous. If you don't know what dualism is, it means you've just been trapped in it for a long time. Dualism is when you take something that's supposed to be one and you separate them and make them enemies against one another. Example would be, God created heaven and earth and they were one. And God was deeply connected with his creation. And because of sin, it ripped apart the covenant that God had with himself and his people and his world. And he made a promise that he was going to make all things new and bring it back. But what we have done is trapped ourselves in this dualistic mindset where we pitted God against his world. And he's going to burn up the world, and he's taking us out of here. That's not what he's doing, church. He loves the world. And he said he's coming again, and he's making all things new, and he's restoring it back to what he's done. You're like, that's impossible. There's no way he can do that. You don't understand the gospel. You don't believe the gospel. This reality, heaven and earth, coming together that he sings glorious about sinners, dead people coming back to life. This is why we don't understand the Trinity because we try to separate them out. We go, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all distinct peoples, but they're one flesh. That doesn't make sense. So we grab eggs and go, it's like an egg. It's like water. We love to try to make complicated, mysterious things easy. The problem is, covenant is complicated. Have you ever seen Facebook statuses, relationship, complicated? I wish we would all just put that for all of our relationship statuses. Because if you understand covenant, you understand it is a mystery and it is profound. Because he's taking two and making one.
The two shall become one flesh. What is separated because of sin, God is bringing together and making them one. You have to see that this Jew and Gentile issue is not a political agenda. It is a gospel issue. The gospel is a multi-ethnic gospel. That we see that because of what Christ has done, that he has broken down all of these walls of hostility, and he has made the two one. He has united them not only with himself, but with each other. And what he addresses here is that this is a gospel issue, and he speaks directly to the Gentiles. I want you to see what he says here as he says, therefore, remember, you were one time Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were at a time separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. I want you to notice a couple of things. First, is they were cut off because of laws and because of dehumanization. Laws and flesh separated. And they were called the uncircumcision. We have a way of labeling people based upon fleshly things. We have a way of categorizing people based upon fleshly things and laws reiterate it. So because of their skin, because of their flesh, they were outsiders. And he said, not only were you outsiders and not only were you dehumanized and called the uncircumcision, you were strangers and aliens. Strangers is the word that is used in that time for foreigners who are living in a land without rights. Or aliens are foreigners who have papers, rights. So basically, strangers and aliens are undocumented refugees or documented foreigners. We don't experience that here. That's back in those Bible days. They are ones who are living in a land where they have no access. And so because of that, there's four things that Paul mentions. You were separated from the head. This is important because the head is which all things flow down that belongs to those who are attached to him. So because they are separated from the head, they cannot have all the benefits of what it means to be part of the body and all that the body supplies to them. Second, they're alienated from the commonwealth. Notice that. What is commonwealth? When you're a part of that land, when you're a part of that people, you get to enjoy the benefits of being a part. You get to enjoy the wealth of what it means to be a part of that family. 
And they're strangers in relationship, meaning they're seeing all the family function and all that it means to be a part of that, and they don't get to enjoy the fruits of that relationship. And because of that place, Scripture says they were without hope. Now, God in the world. You see, when you're in a place where you're an outsider, a refugee, undocumented, separated because of laws and fleshly things, what ends up happening is you don't get the benefits of all that that system provides, all that that family structure provides, all that that kingdom and government provides. And so not only do you lose hope for what could happen now, but you live in the world without hope because you can't see and be a part of when he makes all things new. You're cut off without hope. Whew. Notice this, that the gospel does not remove ethnic distinction. Here's what this shows. The Godhead is very complicated. We've been talking about this. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are all distinct but one. You cannot separate them, but you also can't deny that they have distinct persons. The closest mystery of that that we can try to understand is in marriage. When two become one flesh, it's not like they both become the same. It doesn't mean the man becomes a woman or the woman becomes a man. They still are man and woman. They are still with their distinctness, but they are through covenant becoming one flesh. You don't lose your distinction in covenant. You become one Covenant is complicated, and we try to uncomplicate it by becoming a melting pot. We try to become colorblind. I don't see color. You should go check that out at a doctor, right? <laughs> we need to lay hands on you, pray for you. You got to open your eyes to the beauty of the color that's around it's not a melting pot. And what people try to do is try to remove the complication by saying, oh, we would love for them, Mexicans and black people, we'd love for them to come. We'd love it. As long as we don't have to see their ethnicity come with them. As long as we don't have to experience any change. As long as we don't have to, as long as they're white on the inside. As long as they have been assimilated into our culture, as long as they lose their distinction, any marriage in which a husband dominates a wife so much that she loses her distinction in order to be a part of the covenant doesn't know what it means to bring herself into that one new person. See, the reality is them being a part of that covenant is so essential to the beauty of the covenant that we have to keep the distinct roles, but we must see that we are one new man. You're like, I can't do that. I don't understand that. This becomes really, really difficult. And if the church is a new covenant people, then what we have to say is that this new covenant people is made up of all nations, tribes, and tongues. Y'all getting quiet on me here. Listen, I ain't scared of y'all, right? I've been through this battle for a while now. 
the reality of what is at stake here is this. You have to see, when you look at this kind of calling, for this kind of covenant, that we would become this one new man, that we would be a display of the kingdom of God. You look at that, and I'm going to tell you this. I hear it from you all the time. We start talking gospel realities. Listen, love your wife this way. Wives, love your Listen, humble yourself. Forgive. Listen, repent. Keep confessing. All these gospel realities. Listen, none of you all say this. Wink, wink. We, we lay out the gospel, and I can't tell you how many times I hear this. But pastor... This is your best excuse. This is too hard. You know what? You're right. You got me there. You got me. This is a tough one. No, you're right. And if it's hard, God would never want you to do it. Never. Oh, no. He would never want you to die to yourself. Never. No, no, no. It's too hard. You're right. You're right. That's the best excuse you could come up with. It's too hard. But you're feeling for the first time, the weight of realizing I don't have the strength, the power, or the endurance to do this work. And the good news of this gospel is you didn't do the work. Jesus did the work. He is doing the work, and he will finish the work. Oh, I wish I had somebody today. So if I, I'm telling you. That's why he looks at those Gentile believers and he says something extremely important to them. And he says, in Jesus, you have been brought near. He is our peace. He has broken down the wall of hostility. And not only has he broken down the walls, he's killed hostility and he's made us one new man. I think Jesus diagnosed the problem accurately and knew the work that needed to happen. He didn't come in and just tack on all nations. He tore down walls. He spilt his blood. He died the death that only he could die. He did the work that only he could do. He ripped all the foundation. He just stripped it, set it in place. This kind of work that he accomplished was only because he understood that in Christ, the work that he was doing was far beyond the work of any flesh. Because what flesh does is erect walls to keep people out. To protect self rather than to die to self. But in that effort, they make laws to alienate people. But what flesh does is also doesn't understand covenant. And what we have to see is that this work is accomplished by Christ and it's his workmanship. And as he's adding color onto his canvas, why that color, God? Put more white on there. Put more... This on there, make the, no, not that I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm no, why that? God, why this? He's doing the work. He's painting a masterpiece. And in that place, we have to admit, God, I trust you. 
and I'm doing this work, and out of that faith and trust in him, look at what they are being called into. They are being called into living into the work that God has done. If you believe the work, if you believe that he's brought you and called you into this covenant with him and with his people, if you believe the work of the cross and the work of the gospel, and if this is truly a gospel issue, we are called to live into the covenant with Jesus, and here's how, by being one new man. The two becoming one. Distinct, but covenanted together. And you go, that's a lot of work. Now you're starting to see the magnitude of what Christ has died for. Listen to this. This is why Scripture says, don't let somebody become an elder. Unless in their marriage and in their home and in their covenant, they're demonstrating what they understand to be the covenant work being done inside of a marriage. Because if they understand that covenant, notice they don't say if they're a good businessman, if they're a good leader, if they're good at this, they could lead the church, if they're entrepreneurial, if they do all these, if they can run budgets well. We love to elevate kind of gifted business people into church leadership. And the gospel says, no, no, scripture says, listen, look at how they treat their wife. Look at how they treat their children. Look at how they live in covenant. Because if they understand covenant, they'll understand what it's like to be a part of the church because they'll see that this is a covenant people in which you see all kinds of people trying to become one flesh, and it's messy. And they'll understand the scope of the gospel and the cosmic reality that Christ has promised to do a work that we think is impossible, bringing heaven and earth back together. But if you believe he can bring heaven and earth back together, do you believe he can bring all nations together? Do you believe he can bring your marriage together? Do you believe he can bring you and your children together? See, all of it begins to shrink down. And what is at stake here is the work of the gospel. How do we, I'm not going to get into the marriage stuff because all of us want to skip over the racial stuff. The ethnic stuff, and let's just get straight to the marriage stuff. But we're going to spend weeks here. It's going to be so uncomfortable up in here. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You know why? Because if you understand anything about covenant, you understand that the work of the gospel brings people together. I want you to notice a couple things, and then we'll pray. One is, Paul specifically speaks to Gentile believers first. He turns to the Gentile. This was a Gentile church. He speaks to them, and here's what he says to them. He says, you, who are far off, he speaks to them, and then he begins to tell them, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He broken down the dividing wall by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances. 
He's reconciled us to God. He's brought both those who were far off and near. And by his spirit, we have access. And here's what I want us to hear. Oftentimes, when somebody's an outsider, a stranger, and an alien, and they're fighting against structures and systems and demonic authorities, and they're trying to get their way in, it starts to feel like an impossible task where you're just swinging your hammer against the sludge. You're swinging your sludge hammer against the wall, and you feel like you're never breaking through. And you get tired and you start to feel like it is hopeless. And what you need to hear is that unless you understand the gospel and what Christ has done, you will give up on being a part of a multi-ethnic church because of how exhausting it is to constantly feel like you're fighting against structures and systems and authorities. And so many people telling you, oh, here's the laws, here's the walls, here's the beliefs, here's this. You can't come in and they're erecting walls and you're going, forget it. I'll go start my own church with just my people. I'll go do my own thing where we're in control, where we're in power. It's exhausting. Because here's what you see in Corinthians when he starts talking about don't let the eye say to the foot and don't say let the, the head say don't let the hand. And there's two statements in that when are revolving around this same issue. You should go study it. Can't preach it right now. But two statements. One is I don't belong. The weaker parts say I don't belong. You start feeling like you don't belong because you're looking at everybody who just doesn't get it and trying to explain to those who are in power and those who have privilege and those who have access and those who are insiders and trying to explain what it feels like to be on the outside is like beating against a wall. And if you look at how exhausting it is without hearing what Paul is saying, listen, see what Christ has done. And never begin to believe what they're trying to tell you, that you don't belong. Because what you can see in Christ, that as you are fighting against these laws and systems and structures that are trying to get you out, never believe that our King, our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior has erected those walls to keep you out. He's tore them down. All nations, all tribes, he's poured out his spirit. You belong, and not just you belong, you are an essential part of the covenant. And without you, we cannot accomplish the work that God has called us to, to be his people. It's not just, come on, join us. It's, we need you. Because the other statement in Corinthians is that the stronger parts would look at the weaker parts and say, I don't need you. And here's the problem when you're in a community where you start seeing all nations, tribes, and tongues is that those who have had power, comfort, and laws on their side, when idols start having their structures messed with, they start getting really angry. 
Don't mess with my structure. You can say whatever you want, but don't mess with my structure. Don't mess with my, don't mess, don't mess, don't mess. Now, I like it this way, and I love it. I like this. I know maybe you people like music different, but I like this kind of music. So if you want to be here, don't mess with my music. And don't put up there preachers who are yelling and sweating. Don't do that. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't, don't, take, don't, don't take the organ off the stage. Well, let me change that. We need an organ. I'm saying put a new organist up there, right? Who's got some soul, right? Don't mess with the structures, Don't put new leaders in place. Don't give them power. Yeah, come and assimilate, but don't mess. I'm telling you, it's hard to give up privilege. It's hard to feel like you don't fit in. It's hard to be uncomfortable. And when you've lived a life of comfort and privilege, the thought of being uncomfortable is like hell. It's exhausting. And the minority community is like, Welcome to my world for one day, right? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's harder for the older brother to go into the party when he stayed at home. He goes outside. He should have had the golden calf. Or he should have had the calf, fatted calf. He should have had the party. I should be celebrated. Church, I'm, I, I want to tell you this. Across this city, there are other churches, a part of Redemption, who are preaching this, this same message. And I got to sit in a room with them. And I love every Redemption church in this city. I love and I see the hearts. because, But they're in different communities and neighborhoods and predominantly Most of them are worried to preach this message today because they're going to feel like a wall's getting knocked down. They're going to feel like they're going to lose what they're comfortable with. And pastors are gearing up for emails and (laughs) stick to preaching the gospel and stop talking about political issues. This ain't a political issue. This is a gospel issue because what's at stake here is the display of the kingdom in the world. I don't think any nation could manufacture what kingdom, what the kingdom of God can manufacture. I don't think any law can bring all people together. I think only one man, Jesus Christ, can create a new man because he created the original man. And he came and abolished all of it. He says, look, if all of us could come into this new covenant people, we got to start looking at church as a new covenant people. We're in covenant with God. And because we're in covenant with him, we're in covenant with one another. And that means, hear me on this, it's exhausting. And you're like, I don't want to go to a church. I want to go to a church that's comfortable and just kind of fits all of my needs and has all the ministries that I need. I don't want to be in a place where I have to die to flesh. That's why we got the problems in the world we have right now. Nobody wants to give anything up. They don't want any walls torn down. But church, 
My worry is not that. Look, I've gotten letters and some of y'all may send emails and I, I won't respond. <laughs> Proverbs says, don't talk to fools. <laughs> but I will talk to children of God. We'll wrestle with stuff, but I'm not going to exhaust myself trying to convince somebody that this is a gospel issue. But covenant people understand, look, this is messy. Help me. We need to walk through this. And there are real realities to living into this thing. If you know anything about covenant, if you think you don't have to be intentional about it, you'll start drifting away. Have you ever drifted away from a relationship because you didn't put any intention to it? Have you ever drifted away from the body of Christ because you stopped dying to flesh and you went, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's covenant. It takes real intention. It means you've got to do what Tanisha talked about. You've got to start not just eating the food and enjoying the music. You've got to identify with the sufferings. You've got to sit and care and love. You've got to read books. You've got to understand a new history in a new way. You've got to walk through the pains and agonies of their history and story in life. You've got to die to self. You've got to refuse to believe you don't need them. For those of you who feel like you're outsiders and aliens, you've got to refuse to believe that you don't belong because the reality is when we come to this table, there will be all colors of hands, all ethnicities, all backgrounds reaching into the same tray and drinking from the same cup and enjoying the same access to the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. We've got much to repent of. We've got much to forgive for. But I will tell you this. If there's any pastoral thing, you can look around this room and you go, hey, we don't have this problem here but not recognizing all the intentionality and work that's been done to even get to this place. And you come in and try to just enjoy the benefits of the covenant rather than entering into the covenant and dying to yourself. There's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot more death that needs to take place. There's a lot more stripping of ourselves. There's a lot more repenting of sin and forgiving one another. There's a lot more to be done. But I'm going to tell you this, if you've ever been in a healthy covenant, you don't just talk about how hard it is. You boast in how you found real life. I can't tell you how blessed I am to be a part of this community. People tell me, I, tell, I sit down with me all the time going, how'd you get this? How do you have this? I go, listen, I'm not a martyr here. I benefit by being a, I love What's like, I can't imagine life any other way. So you can try to tell me how hard it is. Yes, there's hard parts. But this is life. This is the gospel. Yeah, it's messy. But I'll tell you how many miracles I've seen. Tons. Church, as we come to the table, I want you to ask the Spirit to show you ways in which he wants you to live into this one new man covenant. The tables are open. We're going to sing together, and I want to challenge you to pray. And maybe there's somebody around you who looks different than you. Don't go ask them, you know, what did you think about this? Go pray with them, right? 
Don't go say, hey, we good? We good? You know, I'm good. I'm cool, right? Right? No, no, no. Pray together. Pray for the church. Pray for Thanksgiving. If you want to pray with somebody else, why don't you cross barriers? Let's pray together. Let's come to the table. Let's fellowship and pray and sing. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 